Bushnell and Ted Dabney have in common. They are the creators of the Atari 2600 home video game console, amongst other electronics invented at Atari Inc. Founded in 1972, Atari Inc. was not the first name Nolan and Ted came up with. It was Zizgy. Zizgy Company, to be exact, but that name was already taken in California. Let's explore further and learn the origin of the revolutionary gaming system and company that basically paved the way for the home video gaming industry to follow on this episode of Microbreak. This is Microbreak, a podcast for humans with the attention span of a goldfish, where I share my thoughts, wisdom, and humor on a wide range of topics from yesterday to today. I'm your host, Michael J. Mayo. Get ready to take a microbreak from the madness with me, 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 me. Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Microbreak, the podcast for humans with the attention span of a goldfish. I'm your host, Michael J. Mayo, and this is episode 88, and this is another History of episode, and this time we are covering the Atari 2600 from Atari Company. So it's another 80s retro episode, but as you've learned from previous episodes, sometimes you have to go back a little farther to get the whole story. Now that music you listened to in the intro was not generic music, folks. That was BMX Airmaster's song. <laughs> that was released January 1st, 1980. So that's what 8-bit music sounds like. And that was played on an Atari 2600, which I personally owned. Yes, yes, past tense. I no longer have an Atari 2600. I'm sure I've owned multiples, and there's some knockoffs and copies out there in the world, but I had one of the original Atari 2600s. So we're going to be talking about the Atari 2600 on this history of series, and we're going to jump right in with, well, <laughs> the history. And we're grabbing this from history-computer. Com. Now, this is an interesting website that takes a very technical approach to the whole history thing when it comes to video game consoles and computers alike. So, of course, the links, as always, will be in the show notes below. So, I always ask this on every episode, how's everybody doing out there? As if you could reply. <laughs> well, one of you actually did chime in and told me about your personal experience. Another creator, as a matter of fact, that has his own podcast show, and I'm going to play that recording for you in a little bit. But right now, let's jump into some of the history and see what we know about Atari. Atari was founded in 1972, like I said in the intro. And of course, the name had changed from that funky name. The duo decided to change the name to Atari, and Bushnell was a fan of the ancient Chinese board game called Go, G-O. In Go, there's the word Atari, which means I'm about to win. So when you're about to win in this game Go, you go Atari, and I'm about to win. It's similar to saying checkmate in chess. So there you go. That's where the name Atari comes from. Basically, checkmate. Dabney had invented an early technology for movement on a screen called spot motion circuit. With this, a dot could move up, down, left, and right on the screen without the addition of an expensive computing unit. 
Wow. This was game-changing technology. That's right, Pong. That allowed for the creation of the video game arcade cabinets. So Atari started with the cabinet games, commercial games that were sold. And the first ever game commercially sold was called Computer Space. But it was Atari's first that gained immense traction. In 1972, a new hire at Atari named Alan Alcorn was assigned as a product manager, and he got to do some testing. Wow, what a terrible job. It's 1972, and you get to test video games for a living. That's freaking cool. Does that take a degree? Hmm. Alcorn was unfamiliar with the video games until Bushnell introduced him to Computer Space. This made the result of his performance test even more impressive. After months of work refining his first project, Alcorn presented Atari with Pong. The game was not intended to have been made for commercial release, but the company enjoyed Pong so much that it became their flagship title. Pong was a major hit. Bars, restaurants, amusement arcades, and random other places around the world wanted to get a hold of Pong. Unfortunately, Atari wasn't able to make their production match the demand. <laughs> that sounds familiar. A Tesla, anyone? Part of the argument for hosting a Pong cabinet was that the establishment received 50% of the earnings. In the end, it is estimated that only around 12,000 Pong cabinets were ever made. Boy, I wonder what that's worth today. Probably worth a good penny. Atari didn't have the patent for Pong until the game had been released. This allowed others to copy the game and offer imitations as competition. Magnavox, a competitor in home computing, video game industry, accused Atari of stealing their game, Tennis Table. <laughs> Bushnell and Dabney decided to settle the case outside of court. What did your family do on those stay indoors rainy afternoons? or on those cold, blustery winter days. Families who are content to let television do its thing often find themselves at its mercy for a choice of entertainment, while people who want television to do their thing entertain themselves with odyssey. The electronic game of the future and the family's best foul-weather friend. They didn't want to spend the time and money battling for legal rights of the game that was being imitated across the country. Instead, they began to focus on creating new games. It was during this game library expansion that Atari had employed both Steve Jobs, you heard me, and Steve Wozniak, both names you should be very familiar with. The team had created Breakout to join Atari's other new games, Space Race, Tank, Gotcha. Now, the game console, most people know what it looks like. It took cartridges. There were no discs. There was no surround sound. There was no internet connection. There was nothing. You can play it on a color TV, but lo and behold, you got very little colors out of it. And you heard the audio, okay? But I could never put the dang thing down. The team had created Breakout to join Atari's new games, Space Race, Tank, and Gotcha. It was only a few years later that Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak would leave Atari to create Apple Computer. Thank goodness, because then I wouldn't have been able to record this episode if they were still at Atari because I use an iMac. Well, I use a, a Mac Mini, whatever. I use a Mac. 
I'm a Mac guy. I got an iPhone. I got iPads. So I'm sorry, Atari. (laughs) But they had to go and make Apple. By 1974, Bushnell had begun overreaching. Uh Uh-oh, here he goes. He's overreaching now. This is terrible when they overreach. The company was spread too thin with international expansion. They also placed too much faith in a complicated and expensive-to-maintain arcade cabinet game named Grand Track 10. However, Atari was able to stay afloat with the hit success of their game Tank and by rejoining with their sister company Key Games, K-E-E. Then in 76, Atari went corporate. Warner Communications purchased Atari from Bushnell for $28 million. In 1976, it was during the corporate reign that Atari created the VCS and the Atari 2600. Attention shoppers, the new Atari cartridge game is in. Excuse me. Uh-oh, George again. Ooh, Atari's anti-battle. It comes with 27 games, but that's just for starters. You can get nine cartridges, 187 games. Blackjack. <laughs> I'd like an Atari. Sorry, only our demonstrators left. Mine! No, George. Mine. The new video computer system by Atari. More games, more fun. Boy, we're getting there, aren't we? We're getting there. So there is more and more information on how we move into the 80s with the Atari 2600. So we're going to skip ahead. Now, I owned an Atari 2600. I don't remember how I got it, but here's a fella that also owned the Atari 2600 back in the 80s. Hi, Michael. It's Edward Havens from the 80s Movie Podcast. And yes, I did own an Atari 2600. Bought it with my own money when I was 12 years old in 1979, and I kept it until 2002. I love all the modern bells and whistles of a PlayStation or an Xbox, but there was just something magical about the Atari 2600. Wow, Edward says something magical about owning the Atari 2600. That's pretty awesome. And I want to thank Edward for his recording. Yes, that's right. You can actually record messages to the Micro Break podcast from my pod page, and you'll find that link, of course, in the show notes below. But thank you for that story. That's really cool. Really cool. So let's continue and move on so we can get to the 1980s. By 1978, Nolan Bushnell quit the company. Warner's corporate codes and strict management did not work well with his idea for a proper work environment. In 1979, Atari was under a new CEO, Ray Kassar, K-A-S-S-A-R. In 1983, the great video game crash hit Atari extremely hard. They lost over $310 million in the second quarter alone. Stocks dipped to a third of their prior value. Unfortunately, Atari was unwilling to develop their home consoles or technology that passed what they had acquired in the purchase of Atari Inc. The company attempted to continue selling the Atari 2600 as other companies let their developers come up with something new. In 1985, Nintendo released the NES and put the last nail in Atari's coffin. So that's pretty sad because Atari really did not see that great of success until they came out with the 2600. And it was pretty short-lived when you consider that there's some variant of the NES still out there today. People aren't really talking about Atari unless they're using emulators. So this is a pretty terrible thing. So there were a lot of games that you could play on this Atari. 
And here's a short list of some of the top-selling games from the 1980s. Defender, that was huge. Berserk, oh, everybody remembers Berserk. Jungle Hunt, I was terrible at it. River Raid, I was pretty good at that one. Had boats and airplanes in it. Atlantis, pretty bad. Demon Attack, Joust, terrible at it. Spy Hunter, one of my favorite games on every console. Raiders of the Lost Ark was a piece of junk. I did not like that one at all. (laughs) Asteroids, well, yes, I uh, put a cream on it and it's fine. No, Asteroids is uh, a great game. Yars Revenge. Centipede. You guys remember that one. Centipede. Miss Pac-Man. No, not good at it. Qbert. I was terrible at Qbert. Now, the Atari 2600 had a system called a supercharger or something where you can actually play 16-bit games, but you had to load it through the cartridge from a cassette. That was all machine language, and you had to have a cassette player. I talked about this in a previous episode a season or two ago. Qbert was redubbed Slinky, and it was like a much better version, and it had better sound, better graphics. Warlords, don't remember it. Frogger, everybody loves Frogger. Pole Position, what a great one. Dig Dug, I enjoyed Dig Dug, though I wasn't very good at that one either. There were so many more in that short period of time in the 80s. Wow. So let's talk about the hardware that made the Atari 2600. The CPU was 1.19 megahertz. MOS Technology 6507. The audio and video processor was Television Interface Adapter, TIA. (laughs) RAM, that's your memory. Without the MOS Technology Riot chip, 128 bits. Not megabits, kids. Bits. Additional RAM may be included in the game cartridge. Kind of neat. ROM. That's the game cartridges. 4 kilobytes maximum capacity. 64 kilobytes with bank switching. Wow. Wow. This thing ran at 1 megahertz. We had so much fun and still to this day, we still lean back on the retro gaming systems. We still want to play those old, old games. We love our nostalgia. Certainly, we love the 80s. Well, there it is. There's the episode, and there's a brief history of the Atari 2600 in this history of series that I'm doing. There may be another episode or two. You're just going to have to wait and see. But you can certainly listen to the other 87 episodes that you missed if you're new to the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so others can find it as well. Also, you can follow me at Twitter at micro underscore break and interact with me or leave me a message like Edward did. Whatever you do, stay in touch. I need friends. I need, I need. This is Michael J. Mayo. Thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you on the next one. Oh, 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 oh,